seems like these stairs are getting taller every time I walk up here. <laughs> Mercy me. Well, we're glad that you're here today. We are blessed. To, we're just so blessed with good musicians, aren't we? Amen. As I, I read the newspapers and, and I watch the news and I talk to other people, there seems to be, on one hand, a sense of apathy about what's going on. The other, I think, is arrogance. Uh, on the concept of apathy, it's like, well, well, don't bother me. You know, that's somebody else's problem. Uh, I, I don't want to get involved. I don't, I, just don't, just leave me alone. I remember a friend of mine, Lyle, who was going door to door and doing some personal work of evangelism, met a guy named Bill at, at a conference. And Bill wanted to know more about Christ. And so Lyle went to his home and uh, knocked on the door and Asked if Bill was there. No, the roommate answered, Bill, Bill's not here. Uh, he, he's, gone, he's gone on an errand. So Lyle asked the roommate, do you know Jesus Christ? And the roommate's response was this. No, man, I don't know any Jesus Christ. I work second shift. Isn't that amazing? On the other hand, there's arrogance. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And the tragedy is when you throw off all moral authority, just in the Old Testament it says, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. I'll set the rule. I'm in charge. And we see what happens when there's, the crosses are gone, as Michael's book said. Federal judge recently made an edict that says that you cannot mention the name of the Lord or prayer at graduation in one state. You see what that moral restraint happens in the recent shootings in El Paso and Dayton. It is amazing to be reading our news today, isn't it? That apathy and, in, and indifference, the arrogance, I'm indestructible, don't bother me, that's not new. I was thinking on this passage that we will get to about the past, the days of Noah. It says in Genesis 6.10 that the days were corrupt and full of violence. Year after year after year, people had heard the warning that Noah gave. And then it says, and God shut the door. And Noah was in the ark for seven days. When God shut that door. And I'm wondering if the jeering and all the laughing and the mocking was continually going on until raindrops began to fall. You think of the Tower of Babel or Babel. Only five generations separated from the flood. They knew the flood, they had heard about the flood. But we don't care. Genesis 11, 3 and 4 says they're going to build a tower because we want to make a name for ourselves. Hmm. When you think of arrogance, think of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. 
Babylon had, the city had eight gates, 50 temples of worship. The road for the procession into the city was a mile long, and it had 120 lion statues along that mile. And we all know the story. He has a dream. Daniel is called to interpret the dream, and this is what it says. O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the king. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. And you will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you. Seven times will pass by for you until, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And you go on about the life of Nebuchadnezzar. If you got a warning like that, you'd think they would change your mind about many things, right? But not Nebuchadnezzar. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, <coughs> excuse me, he said, Is this not the great Babylon I have built? as the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? But just like in Noah's situation, God always, always has the last word. And it says the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like the cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. God always has the last word. You come to the New Testament times, it's no different. Matthew 24, 37, Jesus gives the illustration. He says, as the days, like it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in my coming. And then it says in the verse following, it says, the people didn't understand. They didn't perceive. Actually, it can be translated, they didn't care to perceive. Well, you know, fine, thank you. I got the warning. Okay, I got the, I got the message. I'm in, we're indestructible, though. It, it won't happen to us. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 3, that people will be lovers of self, boastful, arrogant, haters of good, conceited, loving pleasure more than loving God. Wow, that just looks like some newspaper, huh? You go to 2 Peter 3, 
which will be our text today. It says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it was since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot. I did some studying on this word scoffers, and it doesn't mean just like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oh, big note, big deal. So what? But the word also means playing like children. Children. Indifferent to any warning, I want immediate gratification. Just, just, just leave me alone. Let me, let me play my game. And the word deliberately forgot consequences. They made a choice to scoff at the coming of Christ. Because why? They thought they were indestructible. Not going to happen to me. It may happen to everyone else, but it's not going to happen to me. But First Peter, Second Peter three, five to eleven, tells us that judgment will come. And listen carefully. We should never take his delay as his denial. God will always have the last word. So if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> there are four aspects of the believer's character that we want to examine today in this passage. How do we live in a generation that is many times apathetic or absolutely arrogant and opposed to the truth of God? I think the first one is this. We need to live with proper perspectives. Perspective, a future outlook, a viewpoint, what I believe is going to happen. But isn't that interesting? It's absolutely opposite of the mockers. The mockers only are looking at the immediate gratification. So self-absorbed, I'm in this game, don't bother me. But the believer needs to live with a different perspective. Why? Because impact, uh, perspectives impact behavior. It's all through Peter's epistles. Behavior, behavior, behavior. In chapter 1, it talks about our behavior in trials. Chapter 2, behavior amongst unbelievers. Chapter 3, behavior in the home. Chapter 4, amongst our fellow saints. Chapter 5, behavior in the church. 2 Peter chapter 1, behavior affects our Christian growth. Chapter 2, behavior and the warning of false prophets. Chapter 3, behavior because of Christ's return. So we need to live with proper perspectives, upward. We realize in verse 12 that we are to live with expectancy. Why? We're strangers and pilgrims. This isn't home. We're not home yet. But do we become self-absorbed and play with indifference, apathy? 
Verse John says, if we have this hope in us, we, this will purify our lives. Hope in the Lord's return. Where have we forgotten about that? It says in verse 14, it talks about our outward perspective. Therefore, realizing his coming is near, it says be diligent. Have a sense of urgency. Get with it. Be mobile. Work. Make your character to be spotless. That's who you are. When the searchlight of the Holy Spirit moves across your soul, what does it see? Spotless. Does that mean perfect? No, we know that. Because he also talks in chapter 1 about we are to grow and to add to our faith, continually developing our love for Christ. He said in our reputation, we are to be blameless. That's what you do. The concept of blameless is somebody to point the finger at. If somebody looks at your life, and you're around a group of people. And you say, well, you know, I know Christ is my Savior. I'm a Christian. What would their response be? Oh, really? Are you kidding me? Well, oh, well, you I, I guess didn't know that. I guess you kind of act the way we do. So I, I didn't know you were a Christian. That's called pointing the finger. We're to be blameless and spotless. And we're to be living in peace. No conflict between who we are and what we do. No conflict. No two separate people. So we are to live with proper perspectives. Secondly, we're to live for a powerful purpose. Verse 15 Ladies and gentlemen, the patience of God does not mean we are to be lazy in bringing people to Christ. If anything, it should promote us and propel us to do that, to share that gospel. Because it says our mission, according to 1 Peter 2.9, is to proclaim the excellencies, to lay out there and make widely known the excellencies of Jesus Christ. The virtues, the preeminent quality, the wonderful deeds that Christ and Christ alone can do, i.e., redeem a lost soul. And call those people out of darkness into his marvelous light. I looked at this word marvelous. Boy, it is, it's a fascinating word. Worthy of admiration passing human comprehension, exceeding amazement. That's what our light, i.e., that's what the gospel does. We call people out of darkness into his incredible, exceeding, wonderful, incomprehensible light. Why? Because light penetrates the soul. And light shows what path people are on. We need to be living with a powerful purpose, i.e. to see people come to Christ. We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. 
That's why we are to do that. Because when you see society, so often they are aimless. Wandering around, trying to figure out life. He says here, we're to live by our personal principles in verse 15b to 17. I I chose four words to describe what our principles should be. You can absolutely add others, but I chose these four. We are a student who is to discover the truth. Because in this passage right here, Peter says that the words of Paul, many of them are hard to understand. I would agree with that. There's a lot of passages in Paul's epistles I don't understand totally. They're hard to understand. But we are to discover that truth because we also need to be discerning about the truth. I'm telling you, I praise God for the great teachers that we have in this congregation. ABC groups, small groups, Bible studies. Praise God for what we have. Men and women who are continually seeking and discovering the truth and discerning the truth. There was a um, recent podcast by Erwin Lutzer, the retired pastor of Moody Church, and he was speaking with Daryl Bach, one of the uh, professors at Dallas Seminary. And Erwin Lutzer said, there are five false gospels that are permeating and attacking the evangelical church. The first one, the gospel of permissive grace. I can live any way I want, God will forgive, no big deal. Ooh, that's a big deal. The gospel of social justice. It's not what we do for Jesus, it's what Jesus has done for us. The new age gospel just wants you to feel good. Number four, the gospel of my sexual identity. Well, Jesus doesn't care about what I do. Oh, yes, he does. And the last one was that we need to discern the truth of the interfaith dialogue gospel. Let's just all get along. Yeah, your beliefs are fine over there. I'll I'll take mine over here. And, you know, we'll just dialogue. We won't do any evangelism. We'll We'll just dialogue. That's scary. You need to be a student. We all need to be students to discover and discern the truth. I, I, the next word I used was a sower. He dispenses the truth. You have to know and you have to possess those seeds so that you can broadcast them out. The third word I chose was a servant. He displays the truth. I had a seminary professor that I deeply admired, and he was with a group of students. I just finished reading his commentary, or trying to read his commentary, on Psalm 119. Fabulous, fabulous chapter. So all these students had gathered around Dr. Zemek, and they were saying, well, you know, what's the great profound lesson? What's the greatest spiritual 
lesson that you learn in your life. He said, well, he was from the Grace Brethren background where they washed the feet during the communion service. He said, the thing that probably gave us great, one of the greatest impacts on my life is I had to wash the feet of a 15-year-old boy who had vandalized my church. Nobody but me knew what he had done. And he said, that taught me a lot about humility. Mm-hmm. The fourth word I used is a soldier. We not, as a student, we not only need to discover the truth and as a sword to dispense the truth, but as a servant, we also need to display the truth. And as a soldier, to defend the truth. Why is it so important? Well, Peter says in this passage that there are unstable and untaught men who are using their own means to twist and pervert the truth of Scripture. It's the concept that you've put somebody on a torture rack and just started turning the screws. That's how they store it. Last week, I read a, a survey put out by Lifeway. And the survey was about people and their evangelical beliefs. 58% said that they believe that um, people were basically good. 51% said God accepts all religions. 78% said that Jesus Christ was the first created being by God. Wow. That is amazing. Why? Because untaught men and unstable men are out there twisting the truth. And we are in danger, a danger that faces us. I get emails across my desk, and I'm sure you do as well, and you're you're sitting there and thinking, how do these people come up with this stuff? You know, they'll take two or three verses and make a proof text out of it and and say, well, that's that's the truth. Oh, really? Interesting. There's not only a danger without the untaught teachers, but there's also a danger within He says in this passage, beware, be on your guard, lest you be carried away from your own steadfastness. That word beware is keep guarding yourself. I.e., Michael can't do it all for you. Your small group can't do it all for you. You need to be in God's word. We all need to be in God's word so that we will not fall from our own steadfastness. Now, that's not talking about salvation. That's talking about being a good soldier for Jesus Christ. That we will lose our firmness and stability. It is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used. And so he gives us a warning from without and from within that we are to live this way. To have convictions about God's word. 
I remember Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll wrote this statement one time. The older I get, the fewer convictions I have, but the ones I have, I would die for. You see, when we were young and dumb, we had convictions about everything. Now that we're old and stupid, we're sitting there going like, yeah, I don't know about that. Most of the time, it's just our opinion. Well, no, when you take that truth and you found it upon God's word, and it tacks and grabs your heart, and you won't let it go. That's a conviction. So in order to be effective in our culture, we need to live with proper perspective. We need to live for a powerful purpose. And we need to live by our personal principles. Your principles that are founded on God's word. And the fourth one, I think, is so strong here, is that we need to live out our private practice. Notice it says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. I'm sure you've met a lot of gracious people that had no knowledge of the Bible or the truths of Scripture. And so they just compromise the faith. I'm also sure that a lot of us have met knowledgeable Christians, but they didn't have any grace. So they're often hard and calloused. Ladies and gentlemen, we need both of those grace and knowledge to exemplify Christ to this generation, this society. It'll take work. It's not easy. It says in this passage in 1 Peter 1, 5 to 9, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness self-control knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. And I would like to add my part to that passage. And he's beginning to play like a child. Lost his perspective. Lost the purpose. Not living out the principles. His practices aren't reflecting Christ. It's going to be work to continue to grow. You all know that. But that growth is so enhanced, so enhanced by our worship. Several years ago, there's a wonderful book that was written, Worship, The Missing Jewel. 
I'm grateful to God that we worship here. I asked, I talked to one guy one time and he had come to the church and he was being interviewed and, and he said he had left such and such a church and, and, I, and I said, oh man, that's a good church. And he looked at me, he looked at me and goes, you don't get out much on Sunday, do you? I thought, um, no, I'm usually here, you know. Oh, he said, oh, you'd be surprised. Wow. Hmm. I would like to take a title from a book that Francis Schaeffer wrote. How should we then live? How should we then live? Realizing that God always has the last word. How should we live? I think we are to be people that I just mentioned who will live their lives with the perspective of his coming. That will live their lives with the purpose of bringing Christ to others. That will live their lives so that their personal principles will keep them from danger without and danger within. And they'll live out private practice that people will see that you're growing in Christ because you have spent time at his feet in worship. Let's pray.